When was the last time, everybody get ready, when was the last time we dropped everything to be with Jesus? When was the last time we stopped what we were doing, we turned off the television, we parked the car, we, we took a, a break from our desk, dropped everything for the Lord? Now, this doesn't count, those catastrophic moments. You know, because those catastrophic moments propel us right to our knees and we drop everything because actually it's been dropped for us. Those tragic moments that force us to call on the Lord in deep desperation when we just want our normal life back. If any of you have been in contact with somebody who's had COVID, the first thing you thought of was, oh Lord, please, why me? Oh Lord, please don't let me have COVID. Oh Lord, when can I get tested? Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Not those moments. Moments like a death of a loved one. The, am I pregnant? The terminal illness diagnosis, the job loss or the divorce moments, or those what have I done moments or why did I do that moment? Why did I drive last night? Those times when we run back into the arms of God because tragedy forces us there. We beg him, Lord, take us back. Not those times. When was the last time we willingly went back to the Lord? Maybe like the first moments we came to the Lord. Maybe for you it was on a high school weekend. Maybe you went away with a youth group and you gave your life to Christ or you went up for an altar call and the next morning when you woke up in your sleeping bag on the floor of a church floor, you got up and said, Lord, I love you. I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Lord, I want to dedicate myself to you. When was the last time we did that? Most of us don't, do we? Most of us don't. Most of us rely on our last close encounter with God happy or sad, to kind of sustain us spiritually. We kind of play what I believe like a spiritual roulette. What I, what I mean is we come here, we're at 9 o'clock, so we're, we're not doing too bad. Maybe not as good as the 8 o'clockers who got up early to get here. But we're, we're in church. Um, you know, we've been baptized. We got confirmed, some of us. We're married. We're better than most people. We kind of hope this is all just going to work itself out. Ryan and Gary and others keep preaching about God's grace and forgiveness and salvation, and so maybe some of that will spill on us. But most of us don't have a conviction that says, I know I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I have a hot faith conviction, not a lukewarm faith connection. You know, the Bible, no surprise, describes God's pursuit of us in completely a different way. The Bible is tireless as it speaks about God pursuing us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Bible describes God as a lover pursuing the beloved us. But like immature teenagers, uh, we often avoid God or we run from God. We run from his affection. So back to my initial question, when was the last time we dropped everything, not because we had to, to pursue God? You know, the Magi, these, these magical men who were not of the nation of Israel, these were men who had studied Eastern religion. Imagine them in a university somewhere. They come to the king of the Jews and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We've dropped everything to find him. We've read your scriptures, and when these certain things happen, we know it's the king has come and we want to worship him. They dropped everything. Herod, albeit for the wrong reason, he wants to drop everything because he wants to find the king of the Jews and kill him. And then if you came and heard Caroline preach last week about the good shepherd, you heard about the shepherds in the field who dropped everything the moment the angels appeared and went to Bethlehem to seek out this God, this Christ child. Scripture talks 
often again about Jesus giving himself up or Jesus emptying himself for us. The word there, Greek word, kenosis, it means to pour out. Jesus apparently, and what we read, he's constantly pouring his life out for us. He's constantly in pursuit of us. He's constantly leaving one village for another. He's constantly, like we heard in the Good Shepherd, seeking that one lost sheep. Paul says it this way, and listen to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, kenosis, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus takes his crown off. You know, Burger King commercials are all over the TV now, and there's that weird plastic face Burger King guy. Anyway, he's got a crown on his head, and he takes it off and on. Jesus takes off the real crown, and he sets it aside. Jesus steps down from his throne in heaven, takes on the form of humanity. He drops everything for us and comes to demonstrate just how much he loves us. So 2020, like I said, is behind us. 2021 is ahead of us. It's time for New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. The Stewardship Committee made it pretty easy this year. The Stewardship Committee tried to ask everyone to consider where were they spending their time, their talent, and their treasure. Their precious time, our precious time, because the truth is, and the committee knew that, our time is the most valuable thing we have. We have a member of our parish who's been given a terminal diagnosis. And every time I speak to that person, and this person is young, the cancer they have is a cancer that the doctors haven't quite figured out. And if you ask that person what's the most valuable thing they have, they'll tell you it's the time they have left. It's not money or health or power, it's time. So here's the question, here's the New Year's resolution prompt. How much time do we plan on spending with the Lord in 2021? Or if we'd read a little further in Psalm 84, do we really believe that it is better to be one day in God's court than a thousand elsewhere? That's verse 10 of Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do we really believe that? Do we want to spend another day in his court aside from the Sunday mornings? And what does what a day in his court look like, Gary? Well, briefly, it just simply means actively abiding in his presence. It could be with worship music. It could be through reading his word. It could be spending time in fellowship, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. It could be time in prayer alone, quietly listening for the voice of God. That's what one day in his courts looks like. Because as Paul reminded us in Philippians that I read, in Ephesians that Kelly read, in order for Christ to be in us, in order for us to be in him, we first have to allow him to be in us. Let me say that again. In order for us to be in Christ, we first have to allow Christ to be in us. We have to drop everything and allow him to be in us. So I think I've been given two simple remedies. Very simple. You didn't have to go to seminary to figure this out. Two simple remedies to having Christ more fully in our lives, to letting this verse 5 sink in a little deeper so that we would have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we allow him to come in us, he gives us his mind. Be in me, he says, and have my mind. The first way I believe to do that is to decide, to simply decide to make a conscious effort in 2021 to be more with him. Kind of like when we decide to go on a diet. 
or kind of like when we decide to start exercising. I'm going to get a new pair of shoes this week. Or decide to drink less. Healthy choices. Which usually come to us because a physician, someone who knows our bodies better than we know them ourselves, looks at us and says, you know, you could probably stand, Gary, to have less chicken wings. I'm like, all right, I'll try to cut back. Um, or for others, it's that moment when we're getting ready to check ourselves into rehab. We're tired of living the way we've been living. We're tired of living unproductive, selfish lives. These lives that I'm, I'm thinking of are constantly at odds with people. They're always at odds with family and friends. They're never at peace because, no surprise, Scripture tells us when we're separated from God, when we're not pursuing God, we're always going to be tired or unforgiving or angry. I came back from this vacation, and one of the first emails I stumbled on was from a guy who I angered, I know that's hard to believe, in the first month I got here. I really made him mad, so mad that he and his wife left the church, I'm sorry to say. You don't hear me talk about that too often, do you? Since I got here, eight people have joined and one's left. I mean, I just, it, it was a low moment. And I, I handled it wrong. I, I, I realized that I, I made a mistake, and I actually confessed that to this person. But he, this last week, wrote me an email that said, I'm going to a new church just up the road, and the preacher there, uh, the, the father, the rector there, talked about forgiveness. And I realized I haven't forgiven you. For what you did, and I want to forgive you, and I want to be forgiven. I don't want to live in unforgiveness any longer. And I was stunned. A person who understands the power of being forgiven or asking for forgiveness is a person who is dwelling deeply with the Lord. They know that the power of forgiveness is a catalyst for action like none other. Who, brothers and sisters, this year have we not forgiven? Who have we not forgiven? I know it's an overused analogy, but what Jesus wants us to do is like what he tells Martha when Mary and Martha are gathered there in the living room. We've all heard that gospel. Martha looks at Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, you know, um, tell Mary to get up and help me with the dishes, with the vacuuming, and getting the kids ready for bed. She's just sitting there on the couch with her shoes off, listening to you. And Jesus says, Yeah, yeah, I understand this looks like she's being lazy, but she's not. She's actually doing the most valuable thing she can do. She's spending time with, he calls himself, the bridegroom. Because he's essentially reflecting on the fact that he's not going to be present on earth much longer. And so he says, Martha, Martha, come and sit with me. Because sitting and talking to Jesus is apparently the best thing we can do. If Jesus was going to be in the prayer room this afternoon, I know we've got some prayer warriors in here. If I could actually, if we could get Jesus to come in the prayer room, how many of us would sign up to go sit with Jesus in the prayer room? Well, guess what? He's in the prayer room. Jesus is here in this building. Anytime two or three of us gather in any shape or form in his name, he's there. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to heal us, to console us, and to guide us by the Holy Spirit. We have to be more aware. Last week, like many of y'all, Sue and I made a budget. It's not my favorite thing to do, but we did it. We looked at the new year, our income, our expenses. We took a few thoughtful moments about what the Lord has given us, and we joyfully decided, okay, here's what we're going to do with what we've been given. After taking inventory of our expenses, we made a few predictions. We set some new goals for ourselves, new goals for saving or for travel or for paying off debt. We got intentional about our finances again. We've been married 37 years. I think we get intentional about our finances every year. Brothers and sisters, this year we need to get intentional about the time we spend with Jesus because as Zieg Ziegler said, aim at nothing and you'll hit it every time. If we don't set a conscious thought about how many minutes, hours, days we're going to spend with Jesus, 
this coming year, then we're going to miss the mark before we ever get started. Mike Lumpkin, who's going to be here in a month, praise the Lord. Mike Lumpkin will push us, brothers and sisters, to consider taking a weekend a year for Jesus. It's one of his mantras. It's a drum that he beats constantly. Mike believes that one weekend for the Lord a year, one weekend at a parish retreat or at Canuga or at a men's conference or a women's conference, does something to followers of Jesus as they're intentional about setting time aside for the Lord. The Lord, Mike will tell you, will always show up on a weekend like that. And people leave weekends like that more grateful, more healed, more devoted than when they went the first time. More and more into who they were created to be, more and more into real life. So to leave my first point, let me give you this quote from my devotional this week. I won't forget it for a long time. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, we allowed the Savior Jesus to make our hearts his second Bethlehem? If he was born in Bethlehem, if that's where he became flesh, and he promises that we can be in him and he is in us, when was the last time we, we pursued him and we allowed our hearts to be his second Bethlehem? It's been some time lately, praise the Lord for you. If it's not, then we have to ask ourselves, why not? Why don't we want to be well? What has us sick, distracted, or diseased? And we need to bring those things in ourselves intentionally to the Lord this year and see what he does with them. The second thing we could do is we could put the things of God ahead of the things of this world. Put the things of God ahead of the things of this world, starting with his people. Eugene Peterson says, one of the tasks of the spiritual life is to become uninterested in yourself. Ha! One of the tasks of the spiritual life is to become uninterested in yourself. You see, when we put the things of God ahead of everything else in our life, we will become less interested in ourselves. It begins by making time for his people. I'd call that inreach. Things like shepherds groups or small groups or men's and women's gathering. Because when we do that, our desire for the Lord and his people branches out. And then we become part of outreach. But scripture reminds us we can't do outreach without inreach first. We have to be in communities of believers, Acts 2.42. We have to be praying together, fellowshipping together, breaking bread together. So that we can be then sent out, and we need to be sent out in this 300th year. Iron sharpens iron, brothers and sisters. That's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture reminds us. And the 300th committee has made this very easy for us. I'm looking around, and I see many people who are involved deeply in the 300th committee. The committee's got something scheduled every month of the year, and sometimes a couple things scheduled. Amen, John? Amen. For instance, there's an art show this month. It's really cool. At the end of the month, on the 21st, like I announced, there's going to be local artists displaying their art. They were already invited to our church grounds. They've done their best to create a visual image. We've also got a kids' art contest that's going to go on. But you can do two things. You can come and just support it by being present, or you can actually call or email the 300th committee and say, I want to be part of events like that that are coming up in the world because I want Christ in me to help bring the kingdom of God to the world today. So here's where I'm going to close. I'm going to close again with the Ephesians passage. Because the Ephesians passage that Kelly read explains the gift that we've been given to share. And that gift becomes clear when we pursue God and pursue his people. Listen to this. In him we were chosen before the foundations of time. Away from him, I would add, we remain alienated and lonely. In him we were given our redemption, our salvation. Away from him, I'd add, we live under the penalty of sin and unforgiveness. In him, we've obtained our inheritance. Away from him, I'd add, we live now and forever in spiritual poverty. 
In him we've been sealed as a sign of our inheritance with the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Away from him, I'd add, we have no guarantees and no hope of solving our biggest problem of sin. So Prince George one, y'all, let's make 2021, let's this year make a church-wide New Year's resolution. One that decides to actively seek the Lord in our lives all the time. One that puts regularly gathering with his people, including Sunday mornings, on the top of our calendars, and it will let us experience all he has for our lives when we hide our lives in him. Amen.